Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate those of you that are leaving reviews for the podcast. I've read several on Apple. Um, It also helps me to know how to do better. So thank you for leaving reviews there and all you're doing to share this podcast platform with other listeners. Our listenership continues to grow. My guest on today's podcast, joining me from her home in near Richmond, Virginia, is my friend Lynn Patton. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Thank you. Um, We have a mutual friend, Dan and Shauna Rasmussen, um, your aunt and uncle, um, who my wife and I moved into their ward when we were first married, I think around 1990, and that's 30 years ago. And they were just a wonderful and still are a couple that kind of took us under their wing. And um, we made friends, We've, we've remained friends, and I've watched all the good service that they've done in our church. Um, through all the assignments they've had, and I'm glad that they've kind of helped connect this. Um, Lynn has written a book, listeners, and I'll read the title of the book. It's called Hear Him, How to Hear the Spirit When You Suffer from Depression. And so this is going to be a podcast about Lynn sharing her own journey with depression and the things that she's learning and the book that she's written. And our joint prayer is that if you're working on your mental health, that this podcast and book will help you. And if you have loved ones in your family circle or in your ward family, you're looking for better tools and how to help them, that this podcast will help you. Just a little background on Lynn. Um, She grew up in Northern California, Modesto. Um, She served a mission in Phoenix, Arizona. She went to college at BYU, um, got a degree in human development with a minor in gerontology. Um, I think I said you served a mission in Phoenix. Did I already say that? Yes, you did. And is a married mother of four in her mid-30s. And she's got four kids, eight and younger. And um, so is that okay for an introduction, Lynn? That's great. And we love the Rasmussen family and their their kids. I know several of their kids, so just terrific family. Um So talk, uh, I just kind of turn it over to you to tell your story. Okay, that sounds good. I'm prepared. Um, So I just want to share my journey and then kind of talk about my book and how hopefully that can help other people who are struggling with the same thing. Um, So I grew up so happy, so optimistic, confident. I had this faith, you know, that I didn't, I I didn't need to work for, you know, I still, I still did the things that, you know, I should do, but I didn't need to do that. People would say, oh, well, I'm struggling with this concept. And I think, well, why in the world are you doing that? Heavenly father loves you. You love him. The end. Why do we have issues? You know, and that's kind of, you know, just how I grew up and how I felt growing up about the gospel. And I was just this happy-go-lucky person. And so I decided to go on a mission. Yeah, everyone in my family had served a mission. Um, and all of them foreign. And so I decided to serve a mission. And I was so excited to get called. And I remember getting called and reading Phoenix, Arizona. I'm like, I'm the first, first of my family to go stateside. And I'm only going to be a few hours away from home. (laughs) 
And I was still super excited about it just because I was like, you know, whatever. It's warm. I told Heavenly Father I didn't want to be cold. I love being warm. And so I go out on my mission and I'm just so happy to be there. Everything about it is wonderful. I'm happy to talk to anybody. I'm not not afraid to, you know, just talk to random people at the bus stop and say, hey, you know who Jesus is? (laughs) You know, and I was just, when I got transferred, I was happy to just move and do whatever Heavenly Father wanted me to do. And then it was exactly nine months into the mission when I remember one of my companions was going to be transferred. Well, she was going home in two weeks. And, and so I was standing in our apartment, staring at this massive calendar we had made. And this is, this is when it all started when I noticed it. And I was staring at that calendar and I was just feeling kind of sad. And it felt like the best way to describe it is like tentacles of darkness creeping over my mind. Like I I could feel something encroaching on that light and that happiness that I had forever and always felt. Um. And that slowly took over over the next two weeks. Um, by the time it fully took over, I didn't, I couldn't recognize what it was. So I noticed that first kind of, I'm feeling a little sad. What is that like? What's going on in my mind and where, where is this darkness coming from? Um, but by the time that darkness, aka depression, you know, finally, fully took over my brain it was like that self-aware button switched off and I could no longer look into myself and see what was going on and what was wrong like I knew something was happening but I didn't see it for what it was um because I started you know I started having all these obsessive thoughts and mostly they were about the person I had left at home who I wanted to marry. And all of a sudden I couldn't stop thinking about them and it was interfering with, you know, I'm supposed to be giving a lesson and instead I'm talk, I'm thinking about the person I want to marry. And you know, that's, that's wrong on a mission. Well, they say, you know, they say, you know, you should lock, lock your heart. That's the, <laughs> that's the key phrase, lock your heart. Um, but I started obsessing about it and I couldn't turn it off. And those thoughts led to guilt. And I was just having this obsessive guilt, obsessive thoughts. All of a sudden I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I'm going to hell. I'm on this mission. And now I'm failing Heavenly Father. Like I'm not able to do what he's called me to do because I can't stop thinking about this guy. And that's horrible because I'm on my mission. I'm supposed to be thinking about serving others. And you know, that, and those, those types of things kept happening. And I started to get, I became exhausted. You know, depression can affect you physically and exhaustion is really one way that it still has its clutches in me. I am tired all the time. 
So I had trouble getting up in the morning. And when I say I had trouble, instead of getting up at 6.30, I'd get up at 6.32. But my depression was like, oh, well, Satan has taken over. And Heavenly Father is so unhappy. You know, I always felt like Heavenly Father was mad at me, that he was so disappointed in me, that I couldn't be perfectly obedient, that I couldn't follow these simple rules that, you know, used to be easy for me just a couple of weeks ago. And now all of a sudden, like, I couldn't, I couldn't seem to get myself to focus and to get up in time and to, and to want to go out and talk to people. I didn't want to go out anymore. I dreaded having to get out, get up and go pretend that I wasn't this horrible person because that's how I felt about myself. From pretty much nine months on, I felt like I was a horrible person. Um, But one of the main things that really affected me was the spirit. It's like the spirit completely shut off. And I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I couldn't, I couldn't feel the spirit. He wasn't giving me any guidance that I could tell. And that was another thing that made me think, well, obviously I'm suddenly this horrible sinner because now I can't feel a spirit. Heavenly Father's like, oh, I'm going to withdraw the spirit from you, you know, because you're sinning. And I think that's, that's a difficult part with depression because it leaves you feeling guilty so guilty about things that you shouldn't feel guilty about that you don't need to feel guilty about um but in the gospel we we equate guilt with sin and so instead of thinking oh i these these things that i'm thinking and feeling are absolutely irrational you know telling myself i'm going to outer darkness for waking up at 6:32 you know what that's not rational that is Absolutely not how Heavenly Father works, but I could, I could no longer think that way. I just, I just felt guilt and associated it with the few things that I felt like I was doing wrong. And then I just couldn't. I'm losing, I'm losing my focus. Dogs are barking again because I'm at the door. <laughs> refocus my brain um but i just couldn't i didn't equate that guilt with depression i equated it with with sin and so in my mind i was like well okay so i'm this horrible person i'm doing all these horrible things all of a sudden i can't focus on my mission i'd rather go home and get married and that's just horrible Um, and that kind of thought process lasted for years. So I decided that like, okay, well, I'm going to try harder then I need to just push myself. Like I can stop these thoughts that keep coming into my head. (laughs) I can get up at six 30. I don't have to be, you know, I'll try and get in bed right when we get home. I'll, you know, rush through things and get in bed so I can get more sleep because, you know, I'm obviously not going to bed on time because I'm not getting enough sleep and I'm too tired. Um, but that didn't help, obviously, because I was depressed, not a raging sinner. Um, and so 
I just remember being so disappointed in myself all the time. And when I went home, it, it got worse because I didn't have that same structure. At one point I was relieved because, oh my goodness, I now don't have to feel so bad about not getting up at 6.30. Like I could sleep until seven and that would be so great. Um, but then I also didn't have that structure anymore. And I was like, oh no, well now how do I live my life? If I don't have that structure, how do I stay on the straight and narrow? If I'm not doing everything perfect, I can't get to the celestial kingdom. And there are a lot of things I'm not doing perfect. And so I tried to serve more. I volunteered more. I would, I mean, I would volunteer my brother for things and my parents for things and be like, okay, well, we're going to do this. And since I don't have a car and you have a car, you have to come do this with me because we have to serve because we've got to get to heaven. Okay, guys, rule number one, let's, let's go do this. And I became obsessed with just being perfect. And that, you know, that didn't help again, because that wasn't the problem. <laughs> and, you know, it only made it worse, it only made my guilt worse. Because when I wouldn't be perfect at something, if I would pass up a service opportunity or not smile at somebody on the street, then I was going straight to hell again. Heavenly Father hated me and I was a bad person and I just couldn't get better. Um, and so I lived that way for, I would say, it was about six months after my mission. So I lived that way for about a year, obsessing about being perfect. And just so and we're clear, you finished your mission and this is yeah. coming home from your mission. After serving the full 18 months. Yes. And just sort of undiagnosed, processing this on your own, not talking to anybody. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we are. Okay, go. So you're home now. You've been home for six months. You're doing a good job telling your story. <laughs> yes, I'm home for six months. And all of a sudden, I'm just numb now. I'm no longer feeling overwhelmed or despair. I'm just feeling nothing. And so it was kind, it was, it was a 180 going from trying to be perfect to suddenly being like, well, should I even read my scriptures? I don't get anything good out of them. I don't feel the spirit, you know, do I need to, I should probably stop praying. Like that's not doing me any good. Like, I guess I could, I'll keep going to church, you know? And, you know, so I had just those thoughts of like, I could just not do these things anymore. Um, but I remember a thought coming to me and saying, you made a promise to Heavenly Father that you would continue to read your scriptures, say your prayers, do what he has asked. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. But I had no more good intentions. I was just like, I'm doing it because you asked me and there's absolutely no other reason for me to do it um, because I'm getting nothing from this. And that numbness lasted for another year. And, you know, my mother who had gone through the same thing with my younger brother, she would approach me a lot. Hey, honey, it seems like, you know, you're struggling with what your younger brother struggled with. It would be a good idea, I think, to me to go talk to somebody about it. 
you know, I would always deny it. No, no, I'm the happy one in this family. I'm the optimistic one in this family. I don't have depression. I'm just a really bad person now. And that's all there is to it. Um, and so she tried to help me. She tried. She was so good at talking to me about it so much. Um, but I always just like, nope, nope, that's not me. No. Um, because you can see it in other people, but you just, it's so hard to recognize in yourself. I mean, it's, it's like, I don't know. It's just so hard to recognize in yourself. Your brain decides that it's going to give you this. And then it's like, but I don't want you to know because I want your life to be really horrible. So don't figure out what's going on. I'm going to hide that part from you, you know? And so I, um, so anyway, I ended up just kind of feeling numb, but doing what I should. Um, it was, it was so hard though, to do what I should. Because when you don't feel anything, when you don't feel the spirit, when you have no motivation to do it, because you don't feel peace, you don't feel happiness, you don't feel the spirit, you don't feel anything, like what's what's the reason you're doing it? And so it was difficult to continue praying and continue reading my scriptures. I would, I would get lax in it. And then I'd be like, Oh yeah, I should start reading again. Oh yeah. I should start praying again. Or like if I was too tired one day, I'd be like, Oh yeah, I don't need to go to church today because I'm just, I'm just tired and it's fine. It'll be fine. You know? And so I'd go through phases like that where I do a little bit less and then I do a little bit more, but the feelings stayed the same, which were empty. And, um, and I married my husband feeling empty and nothing. Um, it wasn't the person I was thinking about on my mission. It was somebody else. Um, and I remember when we were, you know, we were dating and I would say, Oh, he's been talking about his family reunion a lot. You know, I'm sure that he's going to invite me, but I'm going to say no. And the next day he would invite me and immediately I would say yes. And things like that kept happening all the time where I would say things I didn't intend to say. Um, saying yes to things, inviting him to things that I didn't want to invite him to. And that may sound, I mean, I was, I wanted to spend time with him. I just didn't want to do, you know, didn't want to go to family reunions, didn't want to move fast. And within three weeks, he was like, let's get married <laughs> because I kept agreeing to everything. <laughs> um, and it was, he asked me and I'm like, huh, I'll think about it. <laughs> and that was, that was that. <laughs> um, and I pray, I was like, you know what? I'll pray about it. I'm not going to get an answer about it, but I'll pray about it. And I go to pray about it and I did get an answer. It was one of the few answers I received where I knew I was receiving an answer. And he said, you can do whatever you want. That was it. And I was like, well, what? 
you've been making me do all of these things with this guy. And now it's my choice, you know, and, but it was Heavenly Father's way of telling me that he was a good choice, that if I wanted to do it, marry him, that that was, that was fine. I couldn't feel the spirit regularly, but me agreeing to go to his family reunion, me inviting him to my family reunion in California for a week. <laughs> um, that was Heavenly Father. You know, I looked back on our relationship and I was like, you know what? Heavenly Father, it kind of felt like he was forcing me to do all these things and to spend time with, with this guy. But that's exactly what I should do. And it's exactly what I wanted to do. But without feeling the spirit um, and having logical thought processes, <laughs> that was the best way Heavenly Father could show me that this was a good choice that I was making. Um, so when it finally came down to, you know, making that choice, I was like, you know what, there are all these wonderful things about Joe. Heavenly father is all obviously fine with it. Otherwise he wouldn't have made me say yes to all these things when I was specifically saying no in my head, but yes, always came out. And so we were married and it, and it was six months after we were married that I was doing the dishes. and. I was smiling to myself and I like, I, I stopped and I was like looking around, feeling happy. I was feeling something and I just all of a sudden was like, oh my gosh, I was really, really down low into depression. And I suddenly, you know, it was a light bulb. I, I felt happy at that moment. And that was the first time I could remember feeling happy for about three years. And so my brain was naturally coming out of that depression. And because of that, I recognized that I had been in a really bad place. And so that's when I was like, oh, okay. What mom was saying was actually true when she told me I should go get help. I see now that I really should have gotten help. I did not have to struggle through the last three years like that. Um, and so I promised myself that I'm like, all right, I will, if this happens again, I will recognize it and I will go get help. Um, and so that's what I did. We had our first and our second babies and everything was fine. And then after my third child was born, I got postpartum depression and I was able to recognize it and be like, Oh, this is coming back. Like I feel sad again. I feel angry. Depression makes me angry and cynical and, um, and I started feeling those things again. I stopped wanting to go outside. You know, instead of playing on the playground with the kids, I'd be like, you just watch a show because I can't function anymore. And so I finally got help. Um I just started taking medicine, sertraline. I went to my doctor and he said, This is common. Have some sertraline. And that pretty much cleared things up for me. For a long time like I felt so much better within days of taking that medicine 
Um, and what I should have done though, was gone to counseling, but I never did because, you know, I started taking medicine and I was like, Oh, this is great. This is delightful. I feel a lot better. Okay. Hallelujah. The world is fine. Um, and that's kind of how it's been since my son was born in 2018. It's been me taking medicine. I've now upped my dose. Um, but it, it works most of the time, except when I move 3000 miles away from my family and all of a sudden, you know, I'm all alone with my family, my depression and the bottle of pills. And that just isn't enough. <laughs> um, and so that's where I'm at currently where it's, my medicine currently isn't enough. And now that my youngest is 18 months old and we aren't having any more children and my husband, it has a regular job um, and is not doing his PhD and a master's. I feel like our life has settled down. And right now my goal is to find myself a therapist to actually do that. Um, because I've done a little bit of online therapy, but that just never seemed to work for me because I never, I should have gone somewhere else, taken my computer somewhere else outside of the house to do my therapy session. Because when I'm doing the therapy session in the room and hearing my children screaming out in the living room, that's not helpful because they're part of the stressor a lot of times in triggering my in triggering my anger and my cynicism and i love them but they make my depression worse because that's just what happens it's just you know it's overwhelming to have four kids in your house always needing something when you feel like you can't take care of yourself that's just that's difficult and so online therapy really didn't help me because I just stayed in the house. And so my goal is for this year is to get myself in-person therapy um, and talk to somebody in, figure out how to work around the, the triggers so that I don't yell so much, so that I don't feel so angry and overwhelmed so easily. Um, because even though my medicine is doing an okay job, having somebody to talk to, I think would be really beneficial. And it's helped so many other people that I know really overcome, um, I think behavior is a lot of it, is, is a lot of it. Helps them overcome the the bad behaviors that come with mental illness <laughs> or, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say bad, just the unwanted behaviors. Um, so, um, a couple of years ago, when, after I had finally gotten on medicine, which helped so much. I realized that I was just kind of stagnant 
in the gospel. Um, before I was put on medication, I just couldn't handle anything extra. And that's where I was at, and that was fine. Um, but now that I felt a little better, um, it got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm really not where I want to be spiritually. Um, but, but I didn't understand how to get there because I couldn't feel the spirit on a regular basis or at all, really. I didn't know how to regain that relationship with Heavenly Father. And again, I go back to what I was like before. It was so easy for me before. I knew what I felt. I knew what I believed. I knew what I wanted to do and what I should do. And I would just do it. And I didn't know how to have, how, how to have a relationship with God without the Spirit to guide me. And so what I did is I just went through basic things what I, what I knew. I knew that the way to stay, that one way to stay close to the Lord is scripture study, but reading scriptures made me anxious now and they still do. Opening up actual scriptures brings on this like terrible anxiety. And I'm like, I can't, nope, too much, too much. Can't do it. Stop now. Stop. And it's like someone screaming in my head, stop, don't do it. And I just, it's, I feel overwhelmed. So I found, I said, okay, well, if reading of the scriptures is what should bring me close to Heavenly Father, but I can't read my scriptures, like I can't get myself to, what can I do? And I realized that I was fine listening to a conference talk. I could listen to a conference talk without anxiety. So every morning I get in the shower, turn on a conference talk. And I wouldn't let myself do anything else. I'd get in the shower, turn on a conference talk, listen to a conference talk in the shower. Um, and that was what I could do. And I felt like that was a positive, positive thing. And then I realized, well, I need to start praying more. But having those specific times to kneel down and pray felt too much. It was overwhelming. It was anxiety inducing. Like I couldn't, I couldn't do this either. And I'm like, okay, well, but I need to pray. And so I thought, well, the scriptures talk about having a prayer in your heart. So I'll just talk to Heavenly Father throughout the day when I can. And I feel like it, that's what I'll do. And so I started doing that. I was like, okay, I can, I can do that. I can talk to him during the day, just not in a formal setting. Um, and then I turned to blessings. Blessings were such a major part of how I knew what Heavenly Father wanted from me. Because when I couldn't feel the spirit, I still knew that the church was true, that Heavenly Father loved me, and that he wanted what was best for me. And so I knew that if I got a blessing from someone with the priesthood, that whatever it said would be true. And I could, I could rely on that. And so I started getting blessings often. And at first when I started getting them, I knew that Heavenly Father would tell me how disappointed he was in me. Because that's how I felt about myself. Um, but in all the blessings, he always started out saying how much, you know, he loved me, how much he was proud of me. And, you know, the, the person giving the blessing would list specific things that I was doing that Heavenly Father was proud of. 
Um, and that was always, that was always the blessing. It was never censure. It was never do better. It was just how proud he was of me. And he loved me. The end. Those were always what the blessings said whenever I asked for them. And so those became kind of a lifeline. Like, I can't feel the spirit. I don't feel that Heavenly Father loves me. I just know he loves me. And so that those blessings were really a blessing, if you will, um, to me in guiding me where I should go and how I should feel about myself and my efforts. Um, And then I made a greater effort to attend church every Sunday and to try not to hate it (laughs) because I did. I hated, I hated taking my kids. They were loud. They were crazy. I couldn't get anything. I wasn't feeling the spirit anyway. And then I had my crazy kids and I wasn't getting anything out of church. I was wandering around the halls all the time um, with all my babies. And I decided I'm like, okay, I need to go to church, but I need to just accept that it's okay not to feel happy about it all the time. I just need to make the effort to go. So those were several things that helped me draw closer to Heavenly Father. They didn't help me feel the spirit, but what they did help me do was feel calm and feel peace. Doing those things would quiet my mind more than if I wasn't doing them. And in those moments where my mind was quiet, I was able to get thoughts in my head that told me, you know, questions I was asking Heavenly Father in prayer. You know, I was able to think more clearly about things. And even though I still didn't feel the spirit, I didn't have that burning in my bosom with the thoughts in my head. I just had, you know, a quiet moment after I read my scriptures where a thought would pop into my head. And if it was good, I'd be like, okay, well, I guess I'll do that. And so I learned that I didn't have to give up on Heavenly Father. I didn't have to give up on his gospel. And he hadn't given up on me. That doing the things that he's asked me to do was still good. It was still helpful to me. Even if I couldn't feel the spirit, it was still giving me moments of peace. And um, and right now, that's I'm happy with that. You know, I'm happy with where I'm at. And I've learned that it's okay if you can't do everything. It's okay if you turn down a calling because it overwhelms you. It's okay. You know, if you aren't at that point yet where you can be fully engaged in the way other people feel you should be fully engaged in the gospel, that's okay. Because Heavenly Father wants you to just do something. Just do anything, any little effort he is so happy with. He's so proud of. He's, God is not a God of condemnation. He's a God of hope and a God of help and a God of if you are doing that little thing, wonderful, great, good job. He doesn't need us to do everything. He doesn't need us to run when we can barely walk. And it took a long time for me to get that through my head and be like, you know what? I used to be the person who could run in the gospel. And I am not that person anymore. I, my brain doesn't work the same way. 
I don't respond to things the same way. And it's like Elder Uchtdorf said in, in a talk, when there's turbulence, you don't speed the plane up, you slow it down. And so this depression is, you know, turbulence. And so I've learned how to slow down and be happy with the small things that I can do. And I've learned to trust Heavenly Father that those small things are fine, that I don't have to feel guilty because I can't do what I used to be able to do. Um, and so, yeah. So that's the premise of my book is... Yeah, tell, is our, tell our listeners about your book and you've had this personal story and now you've decided to write a book. Tell our listeners about your book and what you hope it accomplishes and some more about your book. Yeah, so I decided to write the book after I was asked to give a talk in church about um, ways to feel the spirit. And I kind of laughed in the poor man's face who asked me <laughs> to. <laughs> I was like, I feel spirit. <laughs> That's a funny topic. Um, and I was brand new to the to this ward and I went up there and instead of talking about how you feel the spirit, I talked about how I still learned to listen to Heavenly Father without feeling spirit. And I got such good feedback from that. I mean, so many people came up and shared their own stories of, I feel exactly the same way, or my you know daughter struggles with that. And this was really helpful. And you know, there were just a lot of people who related. And so I went home that day and talked to my, I was talking to my mom about it. And, you know, we were just kind of bouncing around ideas. And I was like, you know, maybe I should write a book. Because it seemed to resonate with people in the ward. You know, hi, my name is Lynn. I'm brand new to this ward. I don't feel the spirit. I'm depressed and I scream a lot. Um, but this is how you can listen to Heavenly Father, despite that. Welcome. You know, it was kind of like this big vulnerable entrance into the ward that nobody knew, you know, and no one knew me. Um, but because of the response that they gave me from that talk, I realized that this is something we need to talk more about in the gospel when we feel like we aren't living up to the expectations that are always talked about, which is, which is fine. These expectations, these our doctrines, they're wonderful and we should follow them. If we if we're to the point where we can follow all of them and feel and be able to, I don't know. It's just the gospel is true and everything is good. And Heavenly Father is happy with all of your efforts. And so in my book I talk about um several of the ways that Heavenly Father speaks to me, even though I can't feel the spirit in my heart um, and how I recognize Heavenly Father talking to me without the feelings a lot, because a lot of times it's just through thoughts. Um, and in one particular instance, as, and I wrote this in my book, how I was driving somewhere and I had just had an encounter with someone in the parking lot 
who had asked me if she could borrow some wipes for her kid. And I smiled and handed her the wipes and then moved on with my life. And as I was driving away to my next appointment, I remember being obsessed, having obsessive thoughts. I didn't smile enough at the woman. She probably thought she was such a burden to me. She probably hated me for not wanting to talk to her more. I, I can't believe that I wasn't good enough to do this, this, and this, to, to make it a better interaction so she knew that it was fine. You know, and I had these obsessive thoughts and then all of a sudden Siri pops up, you know, in the middle of saying, turn left, you know, the voice pops up and says, it's always nice to help the end. And then she continued on with her navigation. You know, Siri has no idea what's going on in my life. She is not just gonna, she's not just telling people that it's always nice to help. That was something that I learned was a way that Heavenly Father was able to speak to me when I couldn't feel when my when my um, thoughts were out of control and spiraling and I couldn't, I couldn't hear the spirit like I usually could. Heavenly father was like, don't worry. Siri's here to help. (laughs) She'll tell you what I need you to hear, which is it's always nice to help. And you know, my brain calmed down. It was just instant stillness in my head. And I'm like, Oh, well that was from heavenly father. Okay. So he was, he's fine with how I dealt with that woman in the parking lot, which was to smile and give her some bites. That's, that was it. And he was happy that I helped her. And so in my book, I talk about several other instances where I've learned how to hear the Lord, even if I don't feel him. Um, and yeah, and one of the major things is is to choose, because when you don't feel that spirit, you really do, you have to make more of a choice to follow Jesus Christ than if you feel the spirit, because I've had it both ways, where I felt the spirit in abundance and where I don't feel the spirit at all. And I, I know the difference and I know how easy it is for me at least, to stay in the gospel when I'm always feeling the spirit. And it's not so easy when you don't feel it, when you think, when you don't see the point. And so it it took a little bit to get into the right mindset to be like, you know what? The gospel is still true. Just because I can't feel the spirit anymore doesn't mean Heavenly Father doesn't exist anymore. He still is talking to me and I can prove it because, you know, he's talking to me through disembodied phone voices and he's talking to me through blessings and he's talking to me through stillness in my mind. Um, when I usually wouldn't have that stillness and I can choose to notice those things and I can choose to continue to follow Christ and know that one day I will feel like I used to feel, even if it's not in this life. One day I will feel that spirit. I will feel the reason, the reasons behind why I'm following Christ instead of just intellectually knowing and seeing. 
those reasons. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. And just a few thoughts. Um, I've done a bunch of podcasts with people working through mental health and um, there's consistent themes and Lynn's story is powerful. But one of the themes is, is this is not a spiritual weakness, but at first it feels like a spiritual weakness because it happened on your mission. And so we're taught, and I'm not being critical of our culture, to use what I would call spiritual tools that are good things to solve um, challenges in our life. And if it's a mental health issue, um, we need a different set of tools, just like if I have a broken leg, I need to go to a doctor and walk through the necessary steps to heal my leg. And I don't need more. I mean, I wouldn't turn to increased spiritual um, behaviors to solve my broken knee. Yeah, it's good to have spiritual behaviors, but the path to healing is a medical path. The path to healing for a spiritual, for a mental health issue is the things that Lynn's done, which is medication therapy. And so, but I recognize on your mission, you didn't have that perspective. So you looked at this as a spiritual weakness. And I think listeners, that's cause for pause. What can we do as mission prep teachers, as parents and ourselves to prepare ourselves so um, the lens of the future don't find themselves um, kind of isolated on a mission, um, faced with a mental health challenge for the first time and not having the perspective that Lynn now has to address that because you're your your 15 plus about years removed from your mission, maybe not quite that many. And you would go back and talk to yourself in Arizona with um, incredible tools. If your older self could go back and talk to Sister Patton, I guess you weren't Sister Patton then, you were, that's your married name, but um, on your mission, you would have, you would, you know, not give yourself a spiritual checklist, but you'd give yourself incredible grace and understanding so that's one thought. Another thought is people have helped me understand that when you have a mental health issue, the chemicals released needed to be released in your brain to fit, fill the spirit often aren't there. And mm -hmm. it's a physiological challenge. So you conclude because you don't feel a spirit that God doesn't love you or you're not doing enough good or you should um, increase your spiritual activity checklist type of things to fill the spirit again. And I'm supportive of spiritual activities reading praying going to the temple but it's a different path to healing um but you said so i think that's part of your story and i i would also you know just like it is for a broken knee but i love one of the things i love about your story is you you're at peace that you feel the spirit different than you did when you were growing up and you've learned how to recognize god talking to you even if he doesn't talk to you through the way he talked to you growing up in Northern California. I think that's a really wonderful part of your story. And I think that's helpful for all of us. Cause I think as we mature in the gospel, we recognize the way we connect with God and the way he talks to us. And, and it may be different than um, how we did it in our youth. Um, and it may be unique to us and it may involve meditation. It may involve, kneeling at prayer at our bed like we're kind of taught to do as a youth for me it involves it's i start my day with a short prayer at my bed and in the morning and i read a chapter and then i go for a long walk and that's kind of a continuous meditation prayer for me and that's how i hear god um often it's not on my knee it's on that walk and and so i think there's principles that lynn is sharing 
for all of us to learn how to hear the spirit. And obviously working through mental health issues, um, I love that she's teaching us that it's not a spiritual weakness. It's a mental health issue. And if we look at it in ourselves and others as a spiritual weakness, then we're going to turn to the wrong tools to solve it and just add to someone's burden. You did that on your mission. You thought, I will be more perfectly obedient. I will do this and this because that is the formula to feel like I used to feel. And now you recognize that that's not. And you've found this sort of new sustainable norm. I also like how you are at peace that this might be part of your entire mortal journey to have mental health issues. And, and, the, and I, think that's, I think that still has hope in it. You seem to have hope that this may be lifted, but it may not be till the next life. And I kind of like that. I don't think it's taking the power of God off the table to heal you. But I think it's a more pragmatic way to live mortality, that you're not just looking for the, you're hopeful and you're prayerful. Um, so I don't want to take that out of your life, but you're sort of in this realistic, this is my new, this is my new norm. <laughs> I have four kids. I'm a young mom. Um, maybe at some point this will lift just like it did that one day doing the dishes. And maybe mm-hmm. it lifts permanently and for reasons we don't fully understand. So, but I just absolutely love the way you, um, also love the way you've developed boundaries on what you can or can't do. And you, I think your younger self would have said yes to every church calling. You kind of framed it up that way that you were all in, um, is a phrase we use as Latter-day Saints. But I would say, Lynn, you are still all in and saying no to a calling, um, or saying, no, I can't do this right now, or no, I have developed boundaries that, because my re- primary responsibility is my family, my myself, I can't be the kind of mom I need to be to these four kids if I'm not my best personal self. And I love that you're strong enough and self-aware enough and all into the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've developed boundaries on how to do this. Um, I think that's a beautiful part of your story, and I think it gives us all permission to be all in Latter-day Saints and have boundaries at times. And maybe it's not the right time to take a calling. Um, And we need to take care of ourselves. So there's a lot of things about your story that I love. So I'll turn it back to you. We've got, you know, 10 more minutes. Do you continue to share what's on your mind? Yeah. um, Just kind of in response to that. um, Not knowing whether this will be my norm or not but having hope still you know, i talked to i made a good friend after i um shared that talk in church that was really courageous to do that and vulnerability yeah. brings vulnerability so yeah uh people and, go okay lynn i can talk to lynn sister Patton about the reality of my life because she just opened mm-hmm. up so i think that's yeah. awesome well and i was able so i was able to talk to her and i said you know, I, I asked her, I'm like, how have you kind of gotten to the point where you are? Cause you, you feel, I, it seems like you have accepted what's going on and you're able to move forward and improve. And she said that when she got to the point where she decided she didn't have to be healed, that's when healing did happen when she, you know, when she decided it wasn't all or nothing, I either have to be healed or 
I'm going to live like this my whole life. Um, but when she finally let that go and said, you know what, I can, instead of being healed right away, I can ask for strength. And so now I can take this day by day and say, Heavenly Father, I would like to be healed. But if that's not going to happen today, then help me do this today. Help me feel this strength today because I want to work on this today and this little thing tomorrow. And maybe I'll work on the same thing for the next six years and then I'll move on to something else. But so, so I love that because that kind of gave me the perspective of like, oh yeah, you know, you don't have to be healed. That's not, faith can either help you through not being healed or faith can help you be healed. Like those are, those are the two options and both of them are fine. And so when you get to the point where you can trust Heavenly Father and say, you know what? I might not be able to be healed in this life, but I can be strengthened. Then I feel like that just gives you, that gives Heavenly Father a way to work in your life. He's like, you know, I'm not going to heal you, which is why you weren't being healed and your whole life was feeling it was falling apart, but I can give you and I will give you strength. And so anyway, I feel like that's important for people to understand that it's not, it's not black or white. You can just accept that you are who you are, that you have limitations now, that you have an illness, and you can let Heavenly Father strengthen you from there. And you can be happy with who you are and what you're able to do at this moment. And that's okay, because Heavenly Father loves you. So even if you can't feel it. That darn feeling. You can't feel it, but he does. So I love that you've named this book Hear Him. Mm-hmm. And um l- listeners will link to the book in our show notes so you can get it off of Amazon. Um, how to hear the spirit when you suffer from depression. And um, we've done a lot of podcast listeners, but this is different. Every podcast is different, but the idea of hearing him and and it's it's different for you than it was the you of your youth is you heard him in a way that is different than you're hearing him now. And you've been able to just sort of deconstruct and reconstruct a new norm based on your mental health. And there's really, and I, I think it's um, really remarkable story, Lynn, that you've done this. Um, You're pretty honest about how church became triggering for you. I I get why it can be triggering because it, it, because of the things you've said and uh, the whole the whole time you could tell you had a a testimony of our restored gospel and its unique truth so your your feelings of anxiety or wondering if you should even continue to participate in the church wasn't a doctrinal issue it was a it was sort of a way to protect yourself um from just your journey with the mental health and the triggering nature of church sometime and yeah. I recognize listeners, we may lose some really good people because they or people around them, I don't want to be critical of people that step away, but just don't have the tools um, to understand why someone feels anxiety about coming to church or someone feels they're not good enough or they're not feeling the spirit. And so I think that's a remarkable, and you're in your mid-30s and you've sort of gotten to this point. And 
I mean, if I think if you came on the podcast with adult children raised and you were obviously not in your mid-30s then, you would talk about um, your ability as a parent and your husband's ability to be able to be present for your kids um, in a way that is possible because of your unique journey. They may have no mental health challenges, but you just may be more sensitive um, and more approachable and create an environment in your own family where it's okay to be real and honest and open up to people about how you feel. Because a lot of you didn't open up to people about how you felt. And I wonder if your kids, because of the things you intentionally tell them, will feel safe opening up to you. And you as a parent will create a culture that your kids will feel comfortable. And that may be one of the blessings of this whole journey in your life. I read this yeah, listeners, um, and I want to have make sure, Lynn, I read this listeners on a lot of the podcasts. It's by Henry Norwin, a Catholic priest, and Jake Watts gave me this to me five years ago. Um, it's called The Wounded Healer, a minister's service, and that's who you are as a mom and a Latter-day Saint, and as somebody who's talking about this, will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded about the suffering about which he or she speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led of the desert by someone who's never been there. So that's why I think that talk you gave and the book you're writing and the podcast you're doing and the conversations you're having, you're the wounded healer. And it's not theoretical for you. It's not um, academic. <laughs> it's real. And so then you have the ability um, to use this really difficult part of your life in a way to bring hope and healing to others. And it brings meaning to, to this journey for you. And that's both of us talking to you listeners that are working through really complex things that you probably didn't really want to have come into your life and maybe it gives meaning for your ability to help others i also want to read i'm doing a little more talking than i usually like to do but i want to read a instagram story i wrote because it's just titled then i want to have lynn give the final thoughts and we'll sign off i'm just titled some thoughts about mental illness our doctrine is that all things are possible through jesus as we know he raised lazarus from the dead However, for mental illness, my feeling is generally Jesus doesn't cure it, just like he doesn't cure a broken leg. Yes, Jesus, through his atonement, can give us more hope and peace. Yes, turning to Jesus is a good thing. Yes, miracles can happen. I worry if we tell someone with, with mental illness to solve it by turning to Jesus and practicing more religious effort, we are putting it all back on them to solve it. We don't ask this of someone with a broken leg, so I don't think we should ask this of someone with mental health challenges. Just like we turn to a doctor for a broken leg, we need to turn to therapists for mental illness. I also worry as mental illness continues, even with more religious effort, one falsely concludes their heavenly parents do not love them and they are broken, that something is missing in their religious activity formula leading them to try harder, leading to even more shame and feelings of brokenness. I also worry invoking Satan into the discussion around mental illness creates a feeling this is a spiritual issue. Yes, Satan is real, but I don't think Satan causes mental illness. 
or prevents its cure, just like Satan doesn't cause a broken leg or prevent its healing. I do believe Satan can reduce hope, increase shame, and keep us from reaching out to a path of healing. Jesus increases hope, reduces shame, and wants us to find paths to healing. I hope and say we do things that help others and ourselves be more open to therapy for mental illness and not just a message of just be more faithful. It's not a spiritual weakness, just like having a broken leg is uh, not a spiritual weakness. And like some physical illnesses, some mental illnesses may not be healed in mortality. That is the reality of a fallen mortal world. But I believe Jesus, I believe in Jesus and believe he can bring hope into our lives. We need Jesus. We need doctors and we need therapists. So I don't know how you feel about that, but um, you've kind of touched on some of those points anyway. And, so I'll turn it back to Lynn for any um, final thoughts as we're winding up. So I think the last thing I'd share with you is to, I heard this on a video. I can't even remember where it was. My brother sent me the video and it was someone discussing about your things that you perceive as weaknesses aren't weaknesses. They're a feature they're built into you that way and kind of like what you were saying there are good things that will come from my struggle with depression um and already i'm see- i'm seeing those good things like you talked about my children we do talk about it a lot when i get angry they say do you need to take your brain medicine and lay down for a bit yeah i do okay. i love that cuz then they know, <laughs> you know then your kids know it's not about them and they yeah. don't internalize that this mommy's mad because I'm a bad kid. They know mommy's mad because she needs a brain medicine. That's powerful. Yeah. And so, you know, if you think about it, your depression, your anxiety, your whatever mental health issue you have, it's, it's not a weakness. It's a feature. And you can grow closer to the Lord through it. You can help others through it. You can make it the feature that it is by taking the good from it and sharing that with others. And so that's just my last thought about having a struggle. It's a feature. Well, so move forward. <laughs> thank you, Lynn Patton. Um, check out her book, Great Insights. Thank you for your courage to share our, your story. So this is Lynn Patton. And Richard Osler signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.